The Jericho Network on Westwood One. This is One on One with Mitch LaFond, the podcast where the rockers talk, part of the Talking Metal Digital Podcasting Network. Now, here's your host, Mitch LaFond. Welcome to One on One with Mitch LaFond. Joining me on this episode, it is April Wine frontman Miles Goodwin. We talk about his new book, Just Between You and Me. We also look back on the band's history. Before checking out Miles, please check me out on Twitter at Mitch Lafon, M-I-T-C-H-L-A-F-O-N. Instagram, it is at Mitch underscore Lafon. Facebook is one-on-one Mitch Lafon. And yes, last but not least, paypal.me forward slash Mitch Lafon. And with that, here is the one, the only, Miles Goodwin. We are speaking with a Canadian icon, Miles Goodwin of the band April Wine. The new book is Just Between You and Me. Uh, good day, Miles. Pleasure to have you here. Well, thank you. And uh, I have to say, I have seen April Wine my entire life, going back to, I remember, a, a huge, huge show at the Montreal Forum. And I believe it was Johnny Winter opening up. This one have been 81, 82, like years and years ago. So, um, you know, April Wine's been a, a long part of my life, as I guess most Canadians, for the last 35, 40 years. Um, so let's get into the book. First of all, what, what was sort of the, the concept bef- behind writing, wanting to get this down on paper? Well, uh, there were a lot of unanswered questions or misconceptions around the band April Wine. Uh, that was a, a big reason for, uh, for writing the book, because over all the years, there have been a lot of some changes. So people want to know why uh, things changed, why this person came and why the person left, or why this happened, possibly why that, why that didn't happen. And so forth, and I never really was much to talk about things overall the decades. I didn't do a lot of interviews. I was pretty quiet about it all, and other people had lots to say. And I, I you know, I just heard so uh, so many opinions and so many uh, facts that were incorrect over the years and rumors and such that I thought it'd be nice to just kind of set the record straight once and once and for all at this time in my life. Uh, I just kind of had an interest in doing that. Uh, so I did. And the other reason was for my children. I, I, as the book starts off, you know, I almost died in 2007 and, uh, I went from almost dying into diabetes, into a divorce, this whole bunch of really bad stuff happened to me, uh, one after the other. And when I survived all of that and got healthy and everything else again, I start thinking about my mortality and so forth. And they say, well, you know, if you're going to say so, there might be an idea to do it now. Uh, and, and I wanted to have my children to know, uh, where dad's been, what he's done, because I certainly wasn't a father that went to work every morning and came home at nights. And I wasn't around, uh, for the barbecues in the weekend. I was always on the road and I was uh, either right on the road or I was writing an album or I was in the studio recording a, a record. Uh, I was constantly busy and selfish with my time because that's all I cared about really, um, was, was my career. And I worked very hard at it all my life. And, and, uh, if I have any regrets, really, it's the fact that I didn't spend more time with my family when I had the chance. So anyway, with the book, I get to explain to my kids, uh, what dad was up to, uh, warts and all, as someone said, and, um, I have a wonderful relationship with my, with my children that I had for quite some time, but, uh, the book gave me the chance to explain a lot of things to a lot of people. Was there a, a sense of guilt towards your kids in terms of, you know, I wasn't there for you. you know, is that something that, that, that it's ever come up where they said, hey, Dad, you weren't here for us, so what do you know about us? Or why, you know, 
is that a discussion that's that's happened in the household? Uh, no, not really. No, no. But I, I think it's words unsaid. You know, I think there was a sense of that. Uh, but no, we never really had those kind of uh, discussions. Um, as a matter of fact, I haven't heard back from my kids yet on the book. Like I said, we get along very, very well. Like, they were very excited to get a copy of Dad's book. And uh, I think it was like, kind of like the next thing I read, as soon as I do this and that, I think there's a little bit of apprehension there when they, when they open that, the cover and, and start to read, of, you know, do I really want to know all this? Uh, of course they do. And, uh, and like I say, a relationship is great now. I can't wait to hear back uh, on their take on things, and, and that will happen soon, I'm sure. Yeah, that'll happen soon. Uh, so, mm-hmm. so when you sit down and start writing this memoir, you know that uh, you know your kids are going to read it. You know that bandmates are going to read it, and Donald K. Donald and all these people. Do you hesitate at all, or is it I got to go with the whole truth and nothing but the truth? And were you at all? Uh, I don't want to say shy, but uh, terrified that you might insult people and you might hurt some feelings, or is it no? It's my story to tell, and it's just got to be what it's got to be. Well, well, it's a good question. The thing is, I'm not a vindictive person, and if I was, I would have said a lot of things uh, over the years and, and, and things that uh, perhaps were hurtful and so forth. Uh, I didn't. Uh, with the book, I had a choice of not only April Wine and, and saying things things that are pleasant or, or nasty or perhaps even untrue about anybody. Even with, uh, you know, I was married and, and went through divorce twice, I don't talk. I don't badmouth my exes or anything else. I just try and keep the high road all the way along. But if I want to tell the truth, and some of it's unpleasant, whether it regards me personally or the band or my business or whoever, whatever, then I do that. But I do it as a matter of fact. I don't do it. I don't get deep. Uh, I don't name call or anything. I, I try not to anyway. I just kind of say, well, this 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 is what happened. This this is why. And then I move I move along. So at least when you read it, you know uh, what happened. But if you're looking for me, uh, you know, if it, if this book is not where you're going to, you're not going to find uh, any, any, uh, any nastiness towards anybody in the book. Well, there, there not were, that kind of book. There were two moments in there that I, that I found surprising. Um, first mm-hmm. is when you mentioned that your son had diabetes. Is that something, right. um, was, you know, um, was that, was he okay with you sort of talking about his medical history in public and, um, well, let, let's go with that question first. Well, the thing is, uh, no, you know, I, did, I didn't ask him about it because I know it's not a problem. Uh, juvenile diabetes, he was diagnosed with type 1. In other words, his pancreas doesn't create, produce any, any insulin at all uh, since he, uh, a few days before he turned 7 years old. And so he's had to live uh, with this uh, awful disease all these years. He's 20 years old now. He's a A student at... Uh, at uh, Carlton University in Ottawa in political science, and he's buffed, so he's healthy, okay? Uh, and he's smart, and, and, and it helps to be smart when you're dealing with diabetes. Uh, but anyway, uh, no, it's, it's just, you know, I've been supporting juvenile diabetes since he got sick, not sick, well, since he you know, became diabetic, and so it took him a decade, and uh, and he knows what I do for JDRF, and he knows, he's got some of the appearances that I do personally to raise money and awareness for the, for, for the cause. And he knows that I'm a diabetic, of course, so there's no problem there. And uh, the other one was Jerry Mercer. Now, uh, my family's history with Jerry goes back quite a while. My dad was his French teacher in high school. 
I mm-hmm. I knew his kids because they lived they, well, they, at the time they lived in Il Perot, uh, which is not mm-hmm. too far from here. Um, you reveal that he wasn't retired from the band; that he was asked to leave or pushed out or shown the door because he was a, a doper, as you as as it's written in the book. Um, let me ask you this: Was that disappointing for you that after everything that all of you have been through—the alcohol, the cocaine, and all this—and all of you seem to have straightened out that he just couldn't together? Were, were, were you disappointed that he just couldn't turn the corner? Well, I, well, you know, I have to be respectful of what he wants to do, and okay. and, uh, and you know, in terms of you know, you mentioned some drugs here and stuff. I mean, it was what we, what, what this band did, what some of the band did. I'm not saying everybody did it. I don't in the book. But really, uh, I'd probably more than anybody, but that everybody was doing it. It was the lifestyle. It was the 70s and so forth. This is everybody did it in terms of cocaine that you mentioned. You know, suits were doing this. Lawyers were doing it. Dentists were doing it. Every accountants were doing it. Everybody was doing cocaine for a while. It was God's way of saying you had too much money, according to Robin Williams. So it was, it was just out there and everybody did it for a while. Um, but in terms of Jerry's decision, well, I have to respect that. I was disappointed that he wasn't going to be drumming with us. Uh, but that was his choice. He was not fired. He wasn't relieved or in any way. It wasn't us. He, he made the decision uh, that he, he he liked the lifestyle that he that he was living and has been for a long time, and um, and so that was um, the way it was. He was also um, older. I mean, Jerry, I'm, I'm 68 years old. Jerry's 10 years older than I am, almost months apart from his birthday and. Uh, April of mine in June. So, um, yeah, he decided, ah, I'm going to step down. And, and everybody, of course, out there, everybody out there thinks there are a lot of people saying, oh, Miles, you know, Miles fired Jerry. Well, that's bullshit. You know, I didn't fire anybody. Uh, Jerry, Jerry made a decision. And the great thing, the important thing about the book is I have, uh, you know, I, I always, when I say something, I make sure that I had somebody to back me up. It was my word against the world or against Jerry's, for example. Uh, you know, some of the Henmans, uh, Jim Henman, who's a dear friend of mine, was around for some of the earlier stuff. Uh, Brian Greenway was there for the, the Jerry, through the through all kinds of, from 1977, he's still in the band. I wanted to make sure that, that you know, he was he was beside me when I made these um, comments, because they're true. And I wanted to have at least one other person, if not a few other people, say, yep, I was there, he's right, that's what happened. And again, you know, I say really great things about Jerry. It was Jerry's choice, and I, you know, how I miss him, and how he's a great drummer, one of the best, and 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 everything else. And uh, so, uh, you know, had it, it's just the truth. I wrote it down on paper. That's it. Right, and and of course, as a fan, I, we would have, I guess, we would have wished that he had chosen the band over over that. But whatever. Um, yeah, whatever. Whatever. We've got about 20 minutes. I'm trying to go to rush through things here. 2014. Oh, 20, well, we can, we can cut it down to a little bit. That would be great. I'm in the recording studio, and everybody's holding the breath right now. Okay. That's not your, that's not your fault. That, that's just where it fell on my day. So No worries, uh, no worries. But, no, right. um, no, I'm not worried. Let's, let's move along. Let's no move worries. along. 2014, you took to Facebook, and you had uh, posted a message essentially saying that you were going to step down and that you were looking for a new... Right. Um, Singer, you even had auditions at AprilWine.ca where people could send in tapes. Mm-hmm. Well, you're still here, so yeah. Uh, uh, well, well, well what, ha- what happened there is, is basically uh, we couldn't find anybody uh, that everybody was happy with to replace me. Uh, we were trying to get two and one. Like, I'm a singer and I'm a guitar player. We needed that combo. 
I was okay with a couple of them. I got to be honest, because I was anxious to move along or have things change. Uh, but not everybody else. Everybody else was no, flat out no. And so uh, what I really needed to do was have time for Miles uh, to, uh, to do other things, including the people that I care about in my life now, my children and my, my relationships. So what I said to them is I said, look, I'm not going to quit. What we're going to do is just work less. I need time in my life, at this point in my life especially, to do other things. I have more than April wine. I've been doing it all of my adult life. And so everybody said, okay. So now we work six months, and I have six months to, to do other things. And everybody's happy. And including your, your solo band. Um, then quickly, the, the Canadian music scene. You know, April Wine has been at it since 1969, first album in 71. And it was a very slow build um, to get to international markets, especially the United States. Is there any reason for that? Is it just the way that we're set up in Canada where we just sort of don't uh, seek international? Because, you know, you look at Gowan or Honeymoon Suite or even Brian Adams, it's, it's always sort of this slow build to international stardom. Um, where do you see uh, the responsibility of, of our audiences and our record companies? You know, how, how good was Aquarius Records in getting you uh, to that next level? Well, there's a, there's a lot about this in the book. And exactly. if you've read the book, yes. you know that there's a lot of it there. Uh, well, you know, there's a lot of reasons why bands don't make it across the border, or it takes them a long time. It took April Wine a long time. We we started in 69, but our first record was 1971. And our first international success was 1977. That's, that's, the, that's the span. Now, during that time, we learned our craft. You know, our, our second album is better than our first, and our third album is better than the second, and so forth. We we got better, uh, and there were some changes in '73 where you know David and and, and Richie Henman went off uh, went off, and uh, you know in comes Jerry Mercer and Gary Moffat. To you know, so that there's a big whoop. There's a big, you know, step up in the quality, up. right? These guys, these guys are awesome. Right, they're flat out awesome players. And so that made it a better band. I was getting better as a singer, getting better as a writer. Uh, everything everything was, was, was coming along fine. In terms of what was the problem breaking the stage, it was all kinds of reasons. And the management is a big part of it, and the label is a big part of it. Uh, you know, we were signed with, we had really bad record deals, and that's, that's classic stuff. London Records, why are we with London Records? You know, it's like, well, you know what? They're kind of going down. They're like a sinking ship, and, and they're, they're going to give us all their attention. They're going, you know, this could be really good for us. Well, no, it wasn't. Good. They're the worst thing we could. What are you thinking? Of course, they boop, 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 boop. they went out of you know they 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 sunk the ship sunk, and, and our career went at that point, and our plans went down with them. Uh, we were Big Tree Records. I mean, who know, who knows anything about Big Tree Records? So we had a lot of uh, we had our, our share of that kind of stuff. But aside from that, you know, um, we uh, you know, there's a lot of bands in Canada that are, are phenomenas here that, that can't get arrested across the states. And you say, well, why? If, you know, Canadians, darling, uh, uh, darling, say what's it, Jim Cuddy's band, the Blue Rodeo, right? You know, for example, nothing in the states. Tragically Hip, nothing in the states. All these other bad Canadian bands, nothing in the states. We sold millions of records, so we we got lucky. Why were we lucky and the tragically hip weren't? Was it management? Was it the talent? Was what did, you know, why did in Canada embrace these bands like Blue Rodeo in such a tremendous way when the rest of the world listened and said, no, thank you. So 
I don't have those answers. Was it their management? Was it their record labels? I don't know. I can only tell you about our story, and that's in the book. And, and of course, I think some of the things that were going on back then is that a lot of uh, companies looked over to Casablanca Records and saw what they were doing with Donna Summer and Kiss and went, well, if they can save a, a, a sinking ship, well, we can do the same thing, right? So there was maybe no, some know. of that. Uh, Donald K. Donald was, was a huge um, influence in Canada throughout the 70s and 80s. He ran every, almost every venue. I mean, you know. Um, yeah. What was your relationship with Donald? And, you know, did he do the best he could for the band? Absolutely. Donald Donald's very, very good at promoting. That's what that's his thing. Uh, from an early age in high school, uh, he was uh, he was also a student at I can't think, I can't think of the name of the high school he went to now, but same as my my first wife. He, they knew each other back then. He was promoting stuff when he was in his teens. Uh, there's not uh, not too many better than Donald. Donald's when it comes to promoting, he's one of the best. And our relationship relationship was good when when it came to promoting. And and we'll finish with this. Uh, last album was roughly speaking in 2006, so a decade ago. Uh, is there room for another April Wine album? Do you would you like to get another one out there? I I, I don't know. I I really don't know. I know there's a fan base. Uh, I mean, obviously we have April Wine. Whenever we you know we 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 have all the gigs we want, and they're really good gigs, and they're always sold out, and there's a real demand, and in the states as well in Canada. That's good. There's a fan base. Whether I'm motivated to actually make a record, I'm not at the moment, but I certainly would consider it in the future. Right now, I'm trying to finish off this blues record, uh, and I've got another couple of projects. So we'll see. Uh, we'll, we'll see what happens. I'm not sure. Yeah, we will. And uh, yeah. Miles, a longtime fan. The the book is great. The, the, the back catalog it speaks for itself. Um, you know, every time you're, wherever you are in Montreal, I'll be there. Uh, much appreciated. Oh, okay. Well, Miss, thank, thank you very, very much. And uh, you're in a lovely part of the world there, uh, where you are. Enjoy it. We're going to have some cold weather coming up. <laughs> yeah, we and are. Some snow. And <laughs> we are. So, so just, just thank you for, 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 uh, for having this chat. I, I appreciate it very, very, very much. Well, you know, it's the least I could do after that. The, those shows I saw at the forum, where you guys were just nailing it, it was it was it was wonderful. Well, I remember one time we sold it out two nights in a row, all the way around. When they used to put people behind the ice, you know, between behind the end. Yeah. And I was sitting there. We were sitting there with Donald K. Donald. We were watching his show, and I can't remember who it was. Or said, I'm pretty sure. For some reason, I'm thinking Simon and Garfunkel. I don't know. We were in there. And and we're looking around, and he goes, Miles, now wasn't he, who was it? I can't think. And he goes to me, he says, you know what? There was a time when you guys sold this place out two nights in a row, all the way around the ice. Now, there was nobody behind the behind the ends, uh, the end zone, and behind the stage when we were there that night. This would be probably around 80, 81, 82, something like that. And, Those uh, are the shows and I that's saw. Really, that's really something. That's, re- that's really, really something. Well, can I can I ask you this then one more question just based on that if that's sure, okay? Sure. Um, you know the, the the band had that success and I was at those shows. I I remember that it was just jam packed. Um, you know why wasn't the band able to build on that and and get it to you know we're now playing sold out stadiums in Japan and sold out. What happened between that moment and walking through the fire? Hmm. Walking through fire. Well, that's all in the book. Yes, of course. Yeah. <laughs> of course. I, I mean, I know on it that is, but note, 
<laughs> yes. All right. So on that note, how the fans buy the book, and uh, there you go, Miles. Uh, a pleasure. It's been uh, it's been uh, you know forty years of great entertainment. So thank you. Uh, okay, Mitch. Thanks a lot. I appreciate it. Cheers. Now, bye bye. Cheers. Bye-bye. And there you have it, folks. My interview with Canadian great Miles Goodwin. The new book is Just Between You and Me. Do check that out. And, of course, while checking stuff out, head over to Instagram at Mitch underscore LaFon. Twitter is at Mitch LaFon. One-on-one Facebook Mitch LaFon and PayPal.me forward slash Mitch LaFon should you care to contribute to the podcast. And with that, I bid you a fond farewell. Thank you for listening. See you next time. Bye for now. Oh, my.